Thank you for listening to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman, and today's episode is a very good one. I left my conversation with Michael Johnstone with several pages of notes, uh, two pages front and back, covered with my scribble scratch. Uh, Michael is from Australia. He is the head of commercial with Walco Events, who work on marketing, business development, sponsorship with events um, that promote them all over Australia. Uh, he goes into great depth about some of the work they do uh, helping rugby clubs expand their footprint uh, to other new markets. Um, Michael also has a strong history of growing the National Rugby League. Um, he has uh, been pretty instrumental in expanding rugby through and rugby league throughout Australia, and we go into a great deal about that. Um, we talk about some of my favorite topics like marketing, uh, fan development, customer development, revenue generation, um, you know, promotions, experiential marketing. A really a whole lot of stuff. And I think it was a very interesting conversation. And I hope you dig it. Hey, Michael, welcome to the Business of Fun podcast. Hi, Dad. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. And thanks for being here. I am really excited to have a chance to chat with you because I think that in a lot of ways, uh, even though we're a world away from each other, we focus on a lot of many of the same things. And I want to start out because I'm really interested in what you're doing today with Walco Events, because I think from doing some research before we got together, you take work with teams on taking their games away from their traditional venues to places where I think they would have an opportunity to reach a new audience that they might not otherwise reach. Is that correct? Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. So um, recently we've just worked with the Manly Seagulls who play in the NRL competition here in Australia. Um, and they have traditionally have about 12 home games per season. Um, however, they uh, wanted to take you know, two, two of them on the road to non-traditional markets. So they take one to, uh, to Brisbane, um, and they've, um, they have an arrangement with, um, with us to have uh, a game, one game per year in Christchurch and another one um, potentially in Christchurch uh, uh, on, in the third year. So... Um, we work with them, we underwrite it, and we work with um, the local council and the local stadium um, to make it financially secure. Then we, we obtain sponsors, uh, and then we do all the ticket sales um, and marketing and, and PR around that. And then we organise the week for them. So they, the game was played on Saturday the 9th of June, and they arrived on Tuesday um, prior to that. And we organise you know, school visits and um, community visits and, and so on and so forth. Um, and it worked really well. Um, we got a plus the capacity crowd. And for the clubs, this is it has this been a great success besides just in in the market that you visit, but as far as expanding their fan base. Yeah, I mean the clubs have different approaches. I mean some clubs have taken the approach. It's it's pretty much about um, the financial upside of taking a game to a market, and they've have done a deal with the local government or the local stadium and and uh, turned up and played and, and been paid. Other clubs have done it really well, and probably maybe the benchmark is the Rabbitohs, who have been in WA for about 10 years, I think, um, and they take an approach where the, the game's important, but it's about um, expanding their reach and um, developing um, you know, a new, new audience for the Rabbitohs and a new um, segment of fans for them, and you know, promoted 
um, membership and participation in those markets as well as as well as the game. And that's the um, that's the approach we'd like to work through with Manly, so that Manly see Christchurch as a second or third home, um, and that um, they come back regularly and they develop their own fan base. Yeah, that sounds extremely similar to the way that the NFL is operating with the Jacksonville Jaguars and taking them to London twice a year. Yeah. You know, yeah, and and it seems, at least from what I understand, you know, if you do it right, it does work extremely well. I mean, there obviously are hopefully always financial bonuses, but I think that expanding reach really shouldn't be understated. Yeah, no, it's, a great, it's, it's really great. And what we've found and what we're trying to... Um, do now is work with um, Sky TV who are the broadcast rights holder in, in New Zealand mm-hmm. um, to help them increase their reach into markets. So what happens is in New Zealand there's one team um, the Warriors and they play in Auckland Okay. and they play 12 times and the rest of New Zealand um, doesn't really see a lot of NRL. It sees it on TV and it consumes on TV but they don't see um, many live games so our approach is going to be to work with the National Rugby League and with um, New Zealand Rugby League and Sky and all the stakeholders to try and get three or four games around the rest of New Zealand um, per annum and we think that will benefit um, the game, we think it will benefit participation, we think um, it will benefit um, Sky TV with their reach as well so um, that's the long term plan. Yeah and that's interesting too because I think at least as an American, right, which, you know, I don't necessarily know if we're all, all super worldly, is I thought that everybody saw uh, rugby all the time and everybody was always, you know, sport was like really, really always there. So to hear you say that, like, you know, a lot of people don't have a, access to this is kind of interesting to me because I... Well, I have, I, have to, I have to stop you because um, you call it rugby, right? And we're actually talking about rugby league and that two slightly different things. Okay. So, so rugby, rugby union is the game um, that the All Blacks play, and yep. um, it's um, the um, traditional. That's the strongest game in New Zealand. Rugby league is it's slightly different in terms of the rules. There's 13 aside as opposed to 15 aside, um, and um, there's you know different points and all that sort of thing. Um, in Australia, that's the dominant code. Um, for in terms of rugby versus rugby league, uh, the other the other country in the world where rugby league is the dominant um, game is uh, uh, Papua New Guinea. Believe it or not, and they're fanatical about it um, about, about it um, there. The other um, place where it's played widely is the north of England. Um, so rugby league is the the dominant code there. Um, Whereas rugby union is, you know, is very much a global game now. They have a great World Cup. Um, it's played um, extensively in, in the US. Um, interestingly, just recently there was a test match in Denver, Colorado, between the New Zealand uh, national team and the English national team, um, which has is, been quite controversial because they took them out of their Australian season, flew them over to Denver for a, for a, for a couple of days, played the game, and then flew back and resumed the competition. So. Um, we are trying to expand um, ahead of the 2025 World Cup, which is to be played in the U.S. Yeah, it's. Um, I actually just went to RFK Stadium here in D.C. to see Wales versus South Africa. So I've had a little bit more experience with rugby over the last year or so than maybe I ever did before. And when I say a little more experience, I mean in the last 
six months, maybe that's all of my experience. And it's quite uh, fascinating. The culture around the game is really, really, um, to me, it's unique. And it's really interesting. And I know from some of your prior experiences that you've spent a great deal of time focused specifically on growing the customer experience and creating a really strong culture around your teams and your in the sport. Um, can you give us a little bit of uh, the background of that and like some of the some of the successes you've had? Yeah, I guess um, when I think about some of the the. the um, successful things I've been involved with in terms of um, maybe State of Origin um, as a good example and if you search up State of Origin on, on Google you'd find a lot of content. State of Origin is the, I guess probably the biggest rugby league game um, or rec- series of games um, every year. It's played between New South Wales and Queensland um, so representative players from New South Wales and Queensland play each other three times a year and um, Queensland have been dominant for the last 13 years, I've won 11 out of 13 series. New South Wales have just won it for the first time in a while recently. Um, and in terms of customer experience, we found that um, when I started at the NRL 2007, um, crowds were down. Um, it's very much seen as a TV product, and we weren't. Um, I think the, the crowd uh, 2006 might have been something like 50,000 in an 80,000 seat stadium. And so we had to do a lot of work, and we stumbled across a fan group um, called uh, Blatchy's Blues. So um, Dan Blatch, um, on his 18th birthday, um, dressed in, in a blue T-shirt and a blue wig and um, grabbed some mates and they all went and sat together in, in the stand. And over the next five to ten years, that grew organically with him and his mates. And he got to a group of about 200 um, friends and he was finding that he was buying the tickets for them and then maybe five of them wouldn't show up or wouldn't pay him the money and so he'd be down. So he came to the NRL and said, is there anything you can do to help me organise a fan group, which has got to about two, um, to about 200, 200 people? And um, and we said, yeah, sure, look, we'll put it, we'll set it up as a, as a ticketing category so that you and your mates can just jump on the ticketing website and, and buy it as a category. And um, so we did that. We had we helped them buy the wigs and t-shirts and that sort of thing. And then we found um, by just putting it as a as a um, ticketing category, it, it sort of grew. And, and and that was it was sort of the beginning of Facebook. This was about 2008 as a as a marketing tool. And so it sort of grew um, um, quite organically through that. And then we realised that well, actually, why don't we um, work with them a bit more and see how far we can grow this thing. So um, it went from 200 to about 1,000 guys in blue wigs and T-shirts pretty quickly. And then over the course of the next five years, um, by by only selling it um, online and through promoting it through Facebook only, it had a bit of a coolness about it. And um, and it grew and, and um, it grew quite quickly until, until we ended up I think in about 2012, the Guinness um, uh, Guinness Book of World Records um, granted us the record world record for the most people in wigs and a t-shirt in one place at one time, which at that point was about 12,000. So, and it's really become a um, focal point for um, fan experience um, for for games in Sydney. Um, you, when you see a game, there's a big 
wall, they call the wall of blue, down one end of the field where people are um, dressed in these blue wigs and t-shirts. And and what what was amazing is we didn't really do much to it. We sort of left them to it. And then we did some one year we did some research to find out what we could do to improve the game day experience. And what we found is that people, because they had dressed in blue wigs and t-shirts, they had they adopted a new persona, I guess, and um, had become this incredible fan. Even though they weren't really fans, they were sort of just casual fans, right? But when they uh, were together in this group, the experience, the research company told us it was the, the ratings, the customer satisfaction ratings we were getting were the equivalent of um, kids of the same age who had gone to music festivals and had had a chemically enhanced experience. So the um, the customer satisfaction ratings were um, you know off the charts, and that that's helped us to grow it. Um, you know, sort of nine nine point five out of ten NPS rating. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah, everything really um, really really positive. So um, so that 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 sort of helped us grow. We took those lessons from that into other other games, you know, Queensland games and test matches and all, the, all, all um, other 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 games, I guess. Yeah, it, it's interesting because it sounds like so much of it too happened organically. Like you just gave it the room to develop. And, yeah. then, and then you use the power of social media once that became a normal part of our lives that, to really explode it. Now, I know you said you took it to other areas too. How successful were other organizations building some kind of culture like this because i know um, oh, yeah i mean it's tricky that the the heart the most difficult part was working with the fan groups themselves it wasn't so much difficult it was just very time consuming and um i know that a lot of marketing people a lot of organizations get frustrated um dealing with those groups because they are, are very demanding um, but what I found is that if you do work with them and you're very transparent with them and, you know, because they demand a, a lot and if you're transparent with them as to why you can't do things, they do understand it. You know, the fans do get sports have to run as a business. Um, but if they do, they see that you are trying to accommodate them and make concessions for them, then I think um, the, um, the mileage you get from that um, is amazing. I mean, they become your own... Uh, sales army, you know, um, and uh, the the media flock to them, and they're just useful. I mean, the Blatchies Blues now are, uh, um, you know, the spot they sponsored. They have their own sponsor, um, which New South Wales Rugby League bought the rights to it, um, and they then sold the commercial rights, and you know they make significant um, returns on that as well as the as well as the ticketing returns. Um, and they, you know, they, they import wigs and t-shirts, and they make a return on those as well. So, um, so you know, it, 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 the, the key is just to work with those fans. So we we took it um, the Australian with the Australian team. Um, we have um, tried to encourage other clubs, the clubs within the NRL, to do it. But it's um, it is tricky. You've just got to spend the time working with those groups. And what it sounds like to me is that, number one, I mean, I get it, it's time-consuming and because they, everybody wants everything, right? Um, yes. And probably, and you tell me if I'm wrong, a little bit of the reluctance of other teams to do this is because 
there isn't like some easy to check list that you can do. Some 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 kind of like oh, if you do these three or four boxes, then you're going to have a supporter group that is going to you know become a sales army, like you said. Or, or am I you know is that part of the relationship? No, no, you're right. You're right. It, uh, the key to me was to find. There's always uh, I find this. There are very passionate fans, and it's just a matter of finding them. And going to talk to them, and you know, some of that's just sitting in the stands with them and, and finding those people. Um, quite, but quite often there'll be fans that will reach out and they'll say, oh, "I've got, got groups." And um, no, there is no, I guess, te- textbook um, th- checklist of things to do with them. But invariably, they'll give you a checklist of things they want to do. And if you work with them, um, they will grow um, through word of mouth and through social media and through. You know, however they communicate with their their groups. Yeah, and it actually, I mean, when you say it like that, it sounds like it's everything that anybody would want from their brand, right? It's word of mouth, it's social media, it's organic growth, it's all these things that, right, you um, honestly can't pay for very effectively. Yeah. And, I mean, to me it's just fascinating because I know uh, being here in America, uh, we struggle sometimes with that now. There's this you know, historical image of people being really, really wed to their teams. Like, um, my family were Mets fans, right? Um, unfortunately. So most of the time, you know, um, but, and there was always the Cubs fans, but a lot of that you see dying and it's more of a transactional thing. And and it it really seems like a missed opportunity to me because the way you've laid it out, you know, it takes you a couple of years, but I'm almost guaranteeing that, you know, you're, um, your Blatches Blues, they're not going anywhere. So you always have a base of fans that are going to be there no matter what. And to me, at yeah. least, it would seem like that gives you stability on the business side of of, of the game. That's you know yeah, not relying on TV money. It does. You know, the, the the best thing about Blatches was that we actually, they were actually sitting in the seats that are the lowest value seats okay. behind the post. They are the ones that we used to struggle to sell. Now they're sometimes the first to sell because of the the group. The um, well, the other the other thing that I find I found is that stadiums, new stadiums, have become a little sterile. Right, everyone's got their own seat and um, cup holders, and um, um, they're sort of separate. Whereas what happens in Blatchy is everyone ends up standing up, and that's the thing that I'm most passionate about with new stadium design is that there's an area for people to stand up and move around and talk to each other. Um, and I know the U- some of the new US stadiums definitely have that, and we're about to hopefully get some new... I know there's one definitely being built in um, west of Sydney right at the moment. It's due to open next year, and I've heard that they do have a standing-only um, area. Um, it's really important, and I think um, new stadiums have got to encourage that you know that that um, that culture of standing especially if it's a sport where you can stand it's only in rugby league an 80 minute game so it's easy for people to to stand for a while i guess um what the, where the clubs have really embraced um the um uh, black cheese type model or, or sort of the fan engagement is with their membership um and and nrl clubs membership has grown substantially over the last Five to ten years. You know, when I was at in around 2007, game-wide membership was about 60,000 across the uh, 15 clubs. It was at that point, and now it's well over 300,000. And um, 
and there's been a real cultural change. And that and that the clubs have have dealt and started dealing with their fans on a lot more uh, a lot more closer basis because of that. And let me ask you about this membership model, because I know we went back and forth a little bit about this before we started the podcast, um, because 60,000 to 300,000, that's fantastic growth, right? I mean, that's yeah. no matter who, who you are. But And I know in America, we've kind of co-opted the idea of the membership model. But I know from you know working in, in the UK and working in Europe and working in Australia, that the membership model that you are talking about is much, much different. And it's, there's a lot more engagement when you're talking about allowing the fans to engage. Can you describe a typical membership program for like the NRL or the NRL for us? Sure. Um, yeah, so we did, um, 10 years ago within the NRL, we did refer to them as season tickets. And that was a traditional model where you bought, um, you know, you got a discount, I guess, for buying tickets to every single game. Um, or half the game, but then we, as we started to grow, we looked further afield, and and it'd be fair to say that the AFL, um, who, who are who are national but Victorian based, do a fantastic job of um, of membership, and so we learned a lot. A lot of our clubs have been um, have have spoken to AFL clubs, and yeah, you know, have worked at AFL clubs, and they um, some of the clubs. I've got close to 100,000 members. And I guess the difference is that um, you are trying to encourage your fans to feel like they're part of the club. And um, it's a real cultural shift as opposed to selling season tickets. Um, you know, you bring them inside the fold, bring them in, inside the, the tent, and, and that you are communicating with them first about what's going on with the club. Um, you know, you're, you're communicating to them before uh, the media in some respects you know they'll, they'll get an hour, hour before the media are, are told about a, a player signed or a player leaving but it, it, it took a cultural change within the, the rugby league so, which was led, led by the young marketing professionals and season ticket professionals membership professionals who took it to their CEOs and chair, chair um, people and boards and said, this is the way to go. We've got to start referring to our fans as um, as members. And, you know, it then, you know, took it to the, to the coaching staff. So when the coaches were um, within the media um, talking uh, after a game, they, they said that they um, owed a duty to their fans and members or members and fans. Um, so that was the key. The key was a cultural change. Um, and then the clubs then, you know, have started looking at the, the models for, for membership and, and have developed all sorts of different models. So, for instance, the Warriors in New Zealand at the moment have a um, basically a pick-your-own membership, which is there's about three or four home games left. You can choose the games you want to go to and build a membership around that. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm excited by the way that it is laid out in Australia or even the way that it is laid out for soccer clubs in the U- in the U.K., because I think it also allows you to monetize fans who might not necessarily have the ability to buy a full season ticket, right? I mean, because let's be honest, I mean, we got to make money. Yeah, and that's as a marketer, that's what I most loved about membership is I found that um, it really monetizes the strength of your brand. So if you've got a strong brand, um, you can uh, you, you can sell hope. 
at the start of the year and you are tapping into fans who might not necessarily want to go to every single game. They might only go to one or two games a year. But you're saying to them, look, we know you're a Manly fan, we know you're a Warriors fan. You know, here's a product where you you, know, you can say that you're a member of the, the Warriors or the Seagulls. Pay us $30, we'll give you your ticket to a game and we'll give you a, a scarf or a hat. And... Um, and then you're on the database, and then you can be a member for life, you know? Yeah. No, that's uh, exactly like um, we follow Tottenham in the Premier League, and they have a, a kid's membership and an adult membership, and my, my son's, like, waiting, like, checking the mail every day to get that little uh, keychain with, with the, you know, with the Spurs logo on it. And my- we might never... I mean, we'll likely go see a game, but we might, we're not in England, so, so, but they still have monetized us. And it, yeah, I, I think yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. It's, it's awesome, and, and it's something that is missing here in the states. And it's to me, it's just a tremendously missed opportunity. You're right. The US and the US brands are so strong around the world, as you would know. You know, the, um, my son, the first team he supported was the Golden State Warriors, Manchester United, and Golden State Warriors. And the only money we've really ever given to the Warriors is. Um, we, you know, we took a trip to the US and we went to a game. Right. You know, whereas he could easily become a member of, he would easily become a member of the Warriors. Right. And the you're, Gold, Gold and in that that way too, you're also beholden to. And I, I mean, I know it's easier now, but you're still limited by what merchandise that might be available in your market or that you could easily get to because of the shipping prices. You know, so like some easy way because at least from my experience, it also makes that person. Um, more invested in the team and it gives them a stronger emotional connection which you know since we're both marketers and branders we know that the emotional thing is what everybody buys anyway and then if we yeah. can't tap into that then we really have lost something yes yeah you're right i feel um i, I spoke to my wife on the weekend um my son follows the tigers in australia and ever since he started supporting them they haven't had a winning season and I just feel, did I do the, as a dad, did I do the right thing by introducing him to this team that's just given him so much pain over the last eight years? You know, particularly last weekend, they had a sellout crowd and they just played terrible in front of their sellout crowd. And yet again, it looks like they're going to miss the finals. Yeah. Now, let me, let, me che- let me ask you one question too, because I know that there is... Um I was telling you that I often share some of the best practices I've learned from Australia and with my audiences in the U.S. or in in the U.K. and then throughout Europe. What are some of the things that you wish that you could bring to Australia from the U.S.? And and what are like one or two things that you think that you do very well that you wish would come to the States or to Europe? Um, I think um, uh, the... um Ticket sales model uh, that I've seen a lot in a lot of um, American teams, and we've, we've sort of dabbled in it in Australia. The fan um, relationship management centres or the um, telephone sales teams. Um, to me, um, that's a great way to you know develop that one-on-one relationship. So somebody from the club rings a fan and gets them to renew their membership. Um, or uh, talks them throughout the year, asking them how they're going and that sort of thing. 
we, um, they interrolled did some work with Aspire and we had a fan relationship management centre set up, um, but it was recently disbanded. I'm not sh- quite sure the extent of which clubs have set up their own ones. But to me, um, you know, that's a great way to maintain relationships with fans is, you know, ringing them two or three times a year and asking them how they're going and, you know, getting a view on whether they're going to renew or not. Um, so that's something I'd love to, and I, we, we've done some work with Bernie Mullen on that and, and tried to install that, but it's just, um, there's, you know, there's, there's barriers to that in Australia, you know, minimum wages and costs and, and lower populations and things like that. Um, I guess um, the other way around, it's difficult to think, you know, because you do, you do think of America as the ultimate in sports marketing, but, um, you know, the, the membership, the work that the membership departments do um, in Australia, um, particularly within the um, AFL and some of the big NRL clubs, has been um, fantastic. Um, um, one thing the NRL does well is we mix up our stadiums so we play at different venues so we play at the big stadiums which quite often are only half full Um, but we do um, play at smaller suburban venues and um, for instance on the weekend the Tigers played at Leichhardt Oval it holds about 15,000 of which the grandstand's about probably 4,000 I think um, so most people are sitting on the grass and people rave about that experience. Now it's not, you, you wouldn't want families to try and do that 10 times a year, but once or twice a year, um, it, it's great. And it does hit, I know it does hit a slightly different market. Um, I know there's a lot of hipsters in the inner west that, that go, <laughs> that go and stand on the hill once a year and pretend they're a diehard Tigers fan. Um, but uh, yeah, there are the NRL's done a great job of, of taking games to different venues over the last um, few years. So you know, there's games played in Perth and um, Cairns and Christchurch and Dunedin and Auckland, and they're planning one for the US um, next year. I, I understand, and um, potentially there'll be games in Papua New Guinea. So yeah. I guess that, that's what the NRL's doing. Yeah. That's uh, interesting. The hipsters know no bounds. The hipsters make it everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Oh, great. I turn up. <laughs> um, now, Michael, before I let you go, how can people find you on the Internet? Um, I'm on LinkedIn under uh, Michael Johnston or um, Facebook or Twitter. My Twitter handle is Michael J. Um, oh, sorry, at Michael J. NRL. Okay, perfect. And what I'll do is I will link to this so that everybody can find you. Um, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I know it's early in the morning where you are, and it's a little bit later at night where I'm at, but um, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed having a chance to chat with you. Yeah, really good to talk to you too, too Dave. Thanks very much. I want to thank you again for listening to the Business of Fun podcast. As always, you can find out more about me by visiting my website. It's www. DaveWakeman.com, where I blog daily. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at David Wakeman. If you'd like to get my email newsletter that comes out each Sunday that talks about value, marketing, strategy, branding, and a lot of other things about being more human in business, send me an email at Dave at DaveWakeman.com with the subject line newsletter. 
and I will get you signed up. Or if you just want to send me a comment, a question, a concern, a thought, whatever, you can email me again at that same address. Finally, if you dig the podcast, if you've been enjoying what I've been doing here, I'd love it if you would subscribe on uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, wherever you get your podcast, and leave a rating because it means a lot to me. And until next time, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening.